Hi, I'm Justin Boyd. Yeah, I'm trying to cut the Gojo deal. <laughs> I'm Tristan Jones sending uh, pints of blood. <laughs> I'm Marcy Gonzalez. And we are the Watchers in the Basement. Welcome to the Watchers in the Basement. We are here today to discuss Season 4, Episode 5 of the HBO series Succession. The episode we watched last night was entitled Kill List. And it, you know it's apropos we have four of us because because I I've always considered us the quad squad you know just like, <laughs> like cousin Greg said we're we're the quad the quad squad the Roy Patrol you know the family I love when he said the family and then Shiv without missing me she's like the fuck yeah <laughs> that was so great anyway another great episode of Succession let's get everybody's overall thoughts before we almost go scene by scene because this show is so damn good. Uh, Frank, start us off. What, do you, what are your overall thoughts on episode five? I ain't gonna lie to you guys. I was incredibly intrigued yet confused the whole fucking time. I don't, if that's what negotiations look like, then I, I will be, I'll be a lost puppy in the, in the negotiation room. I mean, the acting was great. I feel like everybody's poker cards were like head up to their, to their vest while Sean Timson not knowing what they want to do. And it was just, it, it was, I mean, the, the banter was great. The, the weirdness of Lucas Matt, of the weirdness of Lucas Matson um, rests up ahead again. Once again, I don't know. I don't know if this is a game that he's playing. I don't know if that life comes so easy to him that he doesn't take shit serious, but it's intriguing to watch him um, like interact with people and like the, the coldness that comes along with him um, is incredible. Like him and Logan are, are similar in, in, in the sense that they're both cunts. They're both assholes, but in but Lucas seems more cold as far as like what's going on with the Roy's and 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 the transition of power. But I mean, it was it was definitely intriguing. Um, I was just confused the whole damn time, but I like the episode. Tristan, what, uh, what are your thoughts? I really like the episode. Like, it, it wasn't the most pivotal episode. Um, it, it didn't seem like a ton was happening, but. If you look kind of like between the lines of um, you know everything that we saw in the episode, a lot ha actually happened. Uh, a lot of consequential things happened. But I'm with Frank. Like I, I walked away from that episode, I guess intentionally confused. I think like the point of last night was the show demonstrating like how what's the word? This how confusing negotiations can be. Like like Frank said like. Well, we every time we've seen a negotiation, it hasn't been like this precise, you know, tennis back and forth of, hey, I want to have it. It's like it, it, the way that they portrayed it last night or depicted it was like, I guess it was kind of easy for 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 regular people to, to follow, but it wasn't really clear until they start throwing out numbers. You know what I'm saying? Like everything else is just kind of like talking. You know what I'm saying? Conjecture, whatever. Um, but with that said, like, I loved how the show, especially after Logan's death, has placed, so, so much of the tension before Logan died was about, <clears throat> you know, everybody's position and once Logan stepped down, like, everybody kind of positioned themselves for, like, the next thing. And that was, like, everybody's kind of fighting for survival, you know, hence the, the title of this episode. So I love, like, just the, the nuanced ways that they kind of depicted everybody jockeying for position still in a just in a different way or just really especially in like tom's case and a lot of the old guard like they're literally fighting for their own survival and i can't wait to see throughout the rest of the season like how that influences like who gets stabbed in the back 
who gets moved, you know, moved, you know, like a chess piece this way, so on and so forth. So, like I said, not the most pivotal episode, but I think an episode that kind of perfectly encapsulates what Succession is, is really truly about. Um, so, in that sense, I loved it. Marcy, what are your thoughts? Maybe you can bring some more clarity to the uh, to the confusion that I think all of us kind of had with the ending of the episode. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if I can. First of <laughs> all, this episode made me thankful, even though I've had some, like, not great bosses. None of my bosses have ever sent me, like, pints or liters of their frozen blood. So for that, I'm thankful. I, like, it gave me, like, I a, mean, half a, liter, though. Half liter. Yeah, right? right yeah. Okay. <laughs> not, not, as, not as scary, but yeah what the fuck um on that but also like Tristan said everybody's jockeying for power and it's just kind of cutthroat against like this beautiful backdrop and scenery um so I liked that juxtaposition but um I think this was just an episode where everybody's just kind of like wait what what the fuck just happened um starting with Kendall and um and Roman because they initially wanted to, you know, tank the deal and that's not what ended up happening. So I'm really excited to see how it bites them in the ass. Cause I think that will be really fun to watch. See, I think they're still going to tank the deal. I don't, I don't know how they do that, but I mean, I still, I don't, I mean, with the end of the episode, you know, Matson up the price for everything, including wait, Waystar, ATN, the whole thing, the whole operation. And, you know, it makes it, he basically made that move to basically say, you can't say no to this because when we're going to make it public, your, your senior executives, your board, they're all going to know about this number. This is a crazy number. So you almost have to take the deal. That's why Kendall and Roman, while they're celebrating with champagne at the end on the, on the plane, they're pretty bummed out because they don't want to sell this guy. That's I mean, for different reasons, Roman doesn't want to sell because he does not like the, he, he hates, uh, he hates Matson for a lot of reasons, which we'll get into. But, you know, for Kendall, he doesn't want to give up the control, the power of running his dad's company. That's what, what he's always wanted. And, you know, they've they've been running it for like 24 hours. And he's he's saying stuff like, yeah, we're doing a good job. And we're, you know, we like doing this. And it's like, man, you've had this job for like literally a day. And he's very comfortable in that spot. And he just doesn't want to give up control. So. And another reason Roman yeah. doesn't want to do it is because, you know, ATN, really, that, that was his father's baby. And that's like the last connection yep. that he has to Logan. Um, I mean, he doesn't like the deal at all. Um, yeah. And I I think <clears throat> the show has kind of led us to, like, we should trust Roman's instincts on business, even if he doesn't execute it always the right way, or even if he does something to fuck up his own, like, execution or whatnot. Like we should trust Roman on that, and he's he's oh it's kind of, it's weird because he's kind of become like the moral center of the show, of the show, which is wild to even think about. But you know that he definitely does not want to get rid of the thing that his father would want to hold on the most. So. Yeah, and, and they don't trust what uh, what Matson would will do with the company, especially with ATN. You know, ATN is this like Fox News like uh, channel. In, in their world. And I mean, he basically told them like, I'm going to strip it down. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make it cheap and, and simple and huge. And he's like, I mean, it's going to be Ikea to fuck. <laughs> That's how he described it. And, uh, you know, they, they, you're right. They don't want to give up 
their dad, like that was their dad's crown jewel. That was his, you know, that was his baby. And to give that, I mean, I honestly, Shiv does, Shiv wants to, Shiv, you know, she doesn't agree with the politics of the state of the network anyway. So she doesn't mind selling it. And I think Kendall's kind of like, he just wants to run the company no matter what it is. But uh, Roman definitely is tugging at its heartstrings. Um, but, you know, overall for me, I thought this was like an all time episode. Like the, the insults, the, the acting, the scenes were just like, I mean, succession is so consistent, but this one was just like, man, this is a, this is an excellent episode. We're seeing like the power shifting, like as we're going through the episode, all these characters, like Tristan mentioned before, they're fighting to stay, you know, whether it's stay on top or just keep a job with the company or whatever the company is going forward. And, you know, also it's one of these episodes where they put everybody on a plane and then flew them to Norway and they're all in one location. And these location episodes always stand out because they put all the characters in the same space and you have to see them, you know, kind of interact with each other. And it's just magic, you know, like every time they do that, it works. Um, so let's start out with the first, how the episode opened. I thought it was pretty interesting the way that the episode opened because it shows Kendall going to work exactly like in episode one. He's listening to Jay Z. He's listening to some rap music. I'm not sure if it was Jay Z in the first episode of of the of the, the of the series, but it was. You know, he's listening to music. He's in his car. He's got his uh, his driver. Hello. Brett. We're gonna show this. We're gonna show this Jay Z song some respect. Let's take over right there. Right? <laughs> well, I mean, that was that was in the first episode or in the in. The I, episode? That's, that's a. I, I have to go back and check, but yeah. I do remember he was listening to a rap song. I, right. I'm not sure it was Jay Z, but yeah. I could absolutely be wrong. But it's interesting because, like, you know, in the first episode of the series, he was going into work, and that was the day he was, you know, kind of take over. And now he's going in to actually take over, whether it be interim or whatever. Um, I thought that was, like, a cool way to start the episode as a nod back to the first episode. Um, Frank, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, that, that uh, how they drew, uh, you know, tied that together? Yeah, I can't. <clears throat> the song episode one of season one, but I do, I do love the symmetry between the uh, the scenes between season one and season four of the confidence, um, the bravado that he's showing as he walks in, um, you know, throwing throwing around, uh, you know, different commands to to his subjects and um, <laughs> the line that he gave to the I guess to the new advisors. He's like, yeah, um, oh, these are, these are new advisors. And he's like, oh, okay, well, fuck off for fuck off for now. Um, but uh. I need you. I'll, I'll call you guys. Like, the, 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 like he, sh like episode one, he showed confidence just like in season one. Then once he got down to the crunch, the crunch of the numbers, like decision making, he's like he's unsure of himself. He's he's backpedaling. He wants to revisit with Shiv and Roman, um, and that's really the whole vibe I got throughout the episode until a certain point um, of when of when he wanted to take the deal. Uh, Kenneth frustrates me. He frustrates me because you would think after four seasons, he would have achieve some type of confidence, some type of like wherewithal of like who he is, where he's come from. And, um, you know, I don't know if he goes through with the deal. I, I guess we won't know until later on in the season, but that's when I would know if, if Kendall has really grown to his shoes because one thing about succession, I think what it shows you is that these kids are trying to marry everything their father has have done and what they would have done. And I think what the show is trying to tell you is that, in order to lead in business, you have to have your own identity because on the outside looking in, people don't, people people are just gonna look at you as, oh, you just spawn your father, you just another wannabe. 
um, until you put your, you know, your claws into the, into your identity and what you want to be, you know, as a leader. I think these characters, honestly, it's hard to tell what they want, but I think whatever it is they want, I think they all want different things. I really do. I think that, um, that's how it's going to kind of play out, but, um, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see about that. Uh, Tristan, do you have any thoughts about how Kindle the parallels from episode one coming in? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a clear parallel. One one thing I do remember from episode one is, you know, like Frank said, like the confidence that Kendall is trying to show that even though he doesn't, he clearly doesn't fully have said confidence, but he's at least trying to create a persona of confidence. I mean, it's the them starting with takeover is the perfect kind of song choice because the takeover is takeover like yeah. it's a it's an announcement it's an assertion of like dominance it's an assertion that i'm the one that's on top i'm the one that's in charge like that's kind of that's the, the nature of the song um and kendall the second that he you know that everybody tells him that hey his, his father wanted him to be the top guy like his whole persona changes you know it's like oh this is what i'm supposed to be and he adopts that persona of ceo guy um and <clears throat> he's better at the persona than he is at, at the job you know <laughs> at this point uh he's he's almost per, in a way kind of perfected the persona the ceo persona with a, a, a lot of you know dickishness in in there but he doesn't like fully have the confidence because he just doesn't have the reps of being that you know his father never really gave him the opportunity to take those reps as being the guy in charge um, so he's just been kind of cosplaying as his father in a way, or just cosplaying as your standard, you know, mid forties or 40 year old white CEO, like this, that's all you know. So, um, <clears throat> the parallels are the same in that in both ways, he's kind of stepping into a role he's not ready for. And he's like, I'm going to kind of fake my way through it. Uh, but for me, like the, the song choice really is what drives home that parallel like the takeover, I'm taking over this position, I'm taking over this company, uh, I'm taking over these decisions for the, for, for the company and for the family and so on and so forth before you fully have the respect of like your peers, your family, everybody involved to like really be effective in that role. Um, so that, that was the parallel for me. Yeah. You know, he comes in, he's like Mr. Cool guy. He's, Oh, these are the, these are your new, like your new, extra manpower, whatever they're called. And he's like, Oh, hello, extra manpower. You can fuck off now, whatever. And until he walks in the office and he sees his dad's empty office, which is much like in the previous episode where, where Roman and Kendall were like, they're in like the dad's den or whatever. And they see his coat or his jacket or sweater or whatever on his computer and everything. Uh, Mar Marcy, what did you think about that part where it seems like every episode they're going to like Logan's gone, right? He was, you know, basically the, the pillar, the main character in this, this show, the, the, the son that this whole show kind of like, you know, orbited around. And it seems like every episode they're going to give us a nod to, yep, he's, he's gone, but not forgotten. Yeah, absolutely. I like how that was such a subtle moment. It was subtle, but still you could pick up on it. And I think, again, we are probably going to see a lot more of that, Justin. And I think it's going to show, like you said, Logan was the son that everything revolved around and how like 
now that the sun is no longer there, how like everything orbiting around it is kind of tilted a little on its axis. We definitely saw that with Roman this episode. We saw it a little bit with Shiv last episode. And again, this episode, she just kind of shared little tidbits that you could really see like how she's really feeling, even if she's trying to put on like this persona of like, no, like I'm, you know, doing okay. Um, but I think they're going to keep hammering that. And um, even the whole situation where Connor was texting Roman pictures of their dad to get their approval. Again, that's like Logan is there, but he's not really there, but his presence is still like huge to where I think like that's a big part of what kind of just broke Roman in that episode and made him go off on Matson. And so I definitely think we're going to keep seeing more of like Logan's presence um, still being felt. The Connor stuff is great. I, I was going to get to that in a little bit, but no, I'm glad you brought that up because Connor and Willa, they have a very small role in this episode, but they're, they're still back in New York. They're at Frankie Campbell's, which I guess, I guess is like a highfalutin, like a funeral home in, uh, uh, you know, in New York. And Connor is calling Roman and Kendall and Shiv basically to, he wants to be able to make the decisions on, what his dad is buried in because apparently Marsha wants to bury Logan in a kilt. And as Connor says, he looked like a fucking Bay city roller, which I thought was funny, which I think the Bay city rollers were like a band, like in the seventies, like a silly kind of uh pop band in the seventies. But uh I like how, <laughs> you know, Connor's calling, you know, his, his younger siblings. He's basically asking them like, Hey, like, you know, I've, I've got a lot going on. I've, I've got a full plate here. He said, <laughs> I just had to cancel out a room full of working white working class whites in Cleveland, you know, cause he's running his, his ill-fated presidential campaign and he's calling them to get their blessing or whatever. He wants to be able to make the decision where, you know, he's worried that like, Hey, if, if my dad ends up looking bad at the funeral, I don't want to be blamed for it. And Kendall basically like says, you know, you can do it. You can the Kendall doesn't care. He's focused on this deal with Matson. But I did think that was like a funny way to involve Connor. I mean, this is probably like the I mean, there's I guess there's been episodes where he wasn't even in the episode at all. But uh, I thought it was a nice touch to show, you know, how to bring him in to be. Yeah, exactly. Just to kind of involve him in the conversation. I would think that Marshall would have final say, right, since she's the the current wife. That's a good question. She does. Um, But the dynamic between the kids and Marsha is that. She's the one person that they can't out privilege, <laughs> just like throw their privilege around and, and get what they want. Like she's not intimidated by them. She, I don't think she respects any of them, um, much of much of anything. And she's a gangster. Like Marsha scares me. Like Marsha is not to be fucked with. I mean, I think Marsha could could get you clapped. You were like with <laughs> through a text message. Like I, I, I don't. She, but she's not intimidated. She's not scared of them. She doesn't see them as above her in any way, even when Logan was alive. Yeah. She was, she like understands her role or she understood her role within Logan's uh, life and the power that came with it. And she also understood that those kids are not a threat to said power. She's not afraid to like use her legal authority. She's not afraid to use her, you know, authority as, you know, executive, his estate, his ex wife, so on and so forth. Like she does not. She doesn't consider them in matters that she feels like she has authority on. Like she will absolutely 
demonstrate like some type of, you know, niceties towards them once the decisions are, are been made. But she's also very clear, decisions been made. When Shiv and everybody was trying to go up to upstairs to see Logan uh, when he first came back from the hospital, she was adamant, no. Like Shiv had to like, in a petulant way, just kind of force her way up there. Like, I want to see my daddy. And that all that did was make Marsha lose even more respect for, for Shiv. And she had no problem telling her that. Like, you're a spoiled fucking brat. It just seemed like a waste of a phone call from from uh, from Khan to the kids if Marsha has authority already. I, I don't know how valid that phone call even was. <laughs> I think it's to show his ineptitude again. Like he's running for president, he wants to run the country. He can't like make this one small decision, but he wants to make a whole bunch of executive decisions. And like, I don't want to be blamed for it. Being president, you're going to be blamed for like all of the shit, even if you had nothing to do with it. So I definitely think it just shows how, like how much of a joke Connor is, but again, how much they are all just wanting approval. If it's not approval from their dad, it's approval from each other or approval from other people. Um, So like they're all just kind of, inept but yeah like poor connor i think he's the most inept one of them all well i don't know about y'all i want con run of this country so what that about? you know and we didn't see this maybe it happened off screen but maybe connor bought the right to have that decision for marcia for 63 million dollars and they settled it with a a spit handshake i mean we didn't see that but that that's very possible so I mean, hell, she she might have enough money then to buy Waystar herself or buy Gojo or whatever and just take over. Quiet as kept. Like, she, she's on the board. <laughs> I don't know how much she got from Logan's, you know, estate, whatever, but Marsha's going to be okay. Yeah. She's going to be all right. Yeah. Marsha is definitely a power player in this uh, in this series. And speaking of power players, let's talk about Matson. His first power move in this episode. So, originally... It was just going to be, I believe, Roman and Kendall, the new co-CEOs, not not the CE bros, but the C, you know, the co-CEOs. They were going to be, you know, heading over to Norway for this retreat with Gojo to try to get this deal done. And last minute, Matson decides to invite the whole team to Norway. He, they're calling it a cultural compatibility check. And, uh, you know, Kendall, you can tell he even even wonders aloud, you know, should we say no so that we don't look weak? But then Jerry kind of convinces him otherwise. Do, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but uh, Frank, with you, do you think it it was a weak move for basically for, for everyone at Waystar just to kind of, you know, jump whenever Matson said so? Yeah, it looked desperate. And and, Matt, and Matson, Matson knows, like, they just, they lost their king. There's probably infighting going on, which he, which he suspects. There's probably like a direction. Like, let me see how far I can play with them on my on my puppet fingers and see how far I can go with this deal and see how much I can uh, manipulate them and fuck with them. Um, the 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 brashness of like coldness towards the the death of their father is amazing to me. Like the man oh, just yeah. died like what, three days ago or maybe like four days ago. Two days and ago. I think, like, yeah. Jokes like that in that manner. Uh, I'm Tristan. I was just saying, yeah, two days. Like you said, I think they oh, mentioned four eight hours. Yeah. Yeah, it's like. The bias not even code yet, and for him to crack these insensitive jokes um, just shows the lack of respect that he has for the rest of the Roy clan. Um, it was it was incredibly weak. Because if I'm Kendall, I'm like fuck you. I'm not 
not coming to you. If, especially if Kendall is like still like unsure about the at that time, he was still pretty unsure about the deal in itself and whether or not he wanted to even go through with this since it was more Logan's deal than his. I would say fuck you. Like if if anything, you come to me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not I'm not I'm not packing my 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 thirty you know high power decision makers and and, and, and come to your beck and call. Um, especially at a, at a retreat that you purposely had a, you purposely started the retreat knowing my dad was dead and still wanted me to still want us to come out there in the first place. I think, I think it was episode three. So nah, it was, it was definitely weak. Tristan, what do you say? <clears throat> I agree. Um, it was weak. I mean, the reason why the, you know, the show has them call it out is because it is weak and it, it's a yeah. very obvious weak move from them. Like, at the at the very least, like we could meet somewhere neutral, you know what I'm saying? Or hey, let's table this until we've had time to bury our father or whatever. Um, <clears throat> but this that is a common move. We've seen that in like Game of Thrones, like when the head of a, a house dies, like you know, rival groups, um, people who want something, who want to extract resources from that um, you know that that group, that family who's lost the head. Um, and they know that they're the, at their most vulnerable, right? There's a, a vacuum, a power vacuum. Um, nobody really understands who's in charge. Even with, I guess, see, uh, Roman and Kendall um, acting as, you know, the heads of the company, they still don't really feel comfortable making moves without Shiv being present or, you know, seeing what she thinks first or taking this here, taking this there. Like, and Matson understands that. He understood that when Logan was alive. Like the way that Logan was so eager to kind of discard his children for, for the right deal, like he took his cue from that. So like, that's the irony of Logan. Like everybody wants to like kind of live up and even though Logan's gone, like in a way kind of still looking for his approval when Logan, he didn't, he never saw anybody else's approval, especially the kids. Like he, he would sacrifice them for his ultimate goals at, at the drop of a dime. And they just don't have that yet. Matson knows that. Yeah. Marcy's going to ask you, so as I mentioned before, uh, Jerry kind of convinces him to, you know, like, hey, like, this is, the only reason why this is, we're doing this is because this deal, it's going to happen. We all want it to happen. It looks like it's mm-hmm. going to happen. Do you think from a business perspective, it kind of made sense to for them to just all pack up and go? Or if you were in charge, what, what would you do? I guess is what I'm saying. I mean, yes, if you want the deal to go through, you do it, but it's incredibly weak because then they, that shows that they have like no leverage, like no bargaining power in this deal, right? They couldn't even say, hey, can we postpone this meeting at least a few days until we've, you know, buried our dad? Like, no, they didn't even have like that much leverage to come back to Matson and say that. So, I mean, yes, it would make sense if you really want this deal, but then you're just really showing him how desperate you are and that just helps him when it comes to negotiations, doesn't help you, um, even though it seems to have played out in a different way. Yeah. And you know, I get it. I get it. This is, I mean, I guess, I guess what the show is showing me is that in business, it's never personal. It's just business. I mean, Nina Brown taught me that when I was like seven years old. But it's like, I wish there was some type of morality, man. Like, golly, you, you, you just made a deal with this man like three months ago, a handshake deal on like, on like, you know, t- taking on, taking on um, 
you know, Waystar and, and and he was alive. And for him to die, at least have the respect enough to be like, ah, right, you know what? I'll let you bury his bury your father and we can reconvene. Um I guess he's trying to, you know, get the best deal possible, pennies on the dollar, because he's he, he made he made the point that the stock had dropped a little bit, and I think it went back up ten points on Monday or whatever. He's he's trying to strike with the irons hot for him, which I understand, but it's like, fuck, this is cold blooded, bro. It it it, it's, it makes me cringe a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a tough look, but. You know, one of the good byproducts of this decision is now we got to see Team Waystar versus Team Gojo. And I I love this is one of my favorite parts about this episode is you get you get um you know the, the Waystar people that kind of see like their doppelgangers on the on the Gojo team. And I love how you know Carolina mentions that you know the deputy of comms is a ski jumper for Gojo, you know, and he's and she, she's bringing up all this thing, and you know, and Hugo is like just fixated on the fact that this ex Winter Olympian is now, uh, you know, is basically in the same job that he has, and you know, he's talking about how like, oh, this guy blew a seven point lead at the Sochi Winter Games, which when he said Sochi, I just like cracked up because I, the only reason why we know that place is because of the Winter Olympics, I, I think so. I, I'd never heard of Sochi until then, um, but I love how he's like, you know, this guy's a choker, and then. When he meets the the guy from uh, from Gojo, the guy's name is Andres. He's like, oh, he's like, you nearly got a bronze at Sochi. He's like, that's almost huge, man. <laughs> it's like, you know, those darn tenths of a second. He's like, you know, if you just tuck, I just, I love, like, you know, I love how he's like, he's trying to make himself feel better. He's trying to make a guy who finished fourth at the Olympics feel like a loser. <laughs> you know, like in the game of life, that guy's a a big time winner. But I love how Hugo's like trying to take shots at him. Frank, what do you think about that? Well, so before I answer, I want to. So, do you think that him saying that to Andres was the reason he, he's on the he was on the kill list to the end of the episode? No, I, I don't. I think I think that was going to happen. I think okay. that was already predetermined. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I thought I thought it was going to be small of, of of Hugo to even go there. Like, yeah. bro, you you're not. There's nothing athletic about you, bro. Like this man, this man was a former Olympian. Like there's nothing you can say to him that can that can make you feel better about yourself. And if if you felt better about yourself, that just that just shows how little you are as a man to be that unsure of yourself as a as a comms guy. I, it it was so weak. It it was such a it was such a weak a weak play. And then given the hot water that he's in, the last thing I want to do if I'm Hugo is bring more attention to myself. Yeah, I didn't I even. I didn't, it didn't even occur to me that he was trying to like say that, like through shade, right? Like I just think that those, all of those, especially those old guard guys and women, like they've been so locked into the bubble of like the Logan sphere that they just don't know how to interact with people. You know, like they don't know how to network. They don't know how to like walk into a room and be bigger than what they already are because they're so used to tucking in so much of their personality and the things that they want to say yeah. in service of Logan, right? They just, that's all it taught me is that they are so, everybody involved, honestly, is so unskilled at the social part of their job. The thing that makes them likable, the thing that connects them to people, the thing that makes people want to work with them late further, you know, or be around them when they don't have to be. That's so horrible at that, like all of them. Yeah. Like I think Jerry might be the best one. Like she just has a better world sense, but like the rest of them, 
are only comfortable around each other. Right. Right. Like Carl and Hugo are only comfortable around Frank. <laughs> right. Like they're only comfortable when they have somebody that they can shit on. Like they, they right. keep Tom around because he's a, a consistent ready-made punching bag. They can always punch him down or punch down to him. And when they got there to, to Norway, like they, you can't punch down on these people. Like they're literally your equals, right? In some ways they're your superiors, right? Athletically and um, academically, so on and so forth. So um, <clears throat> that's all it showed me. I, I had no point where I was like, Hugo is just trying to, he's trying to be shady, right? <laughs> like, no, well, it's just Hugo. Hugo okay. I mean, social interaction. Yeah, bitch, I, I went up to you there. Like it, it was very petty. Yeah, no, he's crazy. he's trying to take the guy down a peg. He's trying yeah, to say, yeah, is. you you almost were a medalist in the Olympics. Like, I mean, like, I mean, think about how many people are in the Olympics. Like, these are like the best people in the. I mean, granted, like some of these sports, none of us could would watch if it was in our backyard. You know what I'm saying? But like, I mean, if you're one of the, if you're competing in the Olympics, you're one of the best in the world at what you do, and it's like a very you know very limited amount of people can have experienced like competing Olympics, much less winning a medal. And for him to like say, Oh, you almost got there. You nearly did it. Like to take him down a peg was just like, he was just tr- grasping at straws. Like you, I got to say something to this guy to, to bring him down to my level. He did was he say like, oh, it was over 17 yeah. to the point or something like, like, like right. he gave the margin of, of how yeah. he lost. Yeah. And the guy, like, 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 bro, come on, bro. Like really? <laughs> yeah. He's a choker. I just liked how, how Carolina, she's laying it out. She's like, they're just a bunch of really impressive young people. <laughs> like, and like, I think, I think she had a sense that she wasn't going to be on the chopping block, you know, cause I think she's kind of more along their lines anyway, but uh, I don't know. I, I thought that was great. I also thought that while they're on the plane and they're talking about, uh, you know, the impressive young people, I love Jerry's monologue and I'm going to read it here. Cause I thought it was like one of her best scenes where she's like, she's like, sure they're young and they're fit. She's like, but they're European and they're soft. She's like panicked and their social security nets sick on vacation mania and free healthcare. And she's, they may think they're Vikings, but, but we've been raised by wolves exposed to a pathogen that goes by the name Logan Roy. And they have no idea what's coming to them. And they're like Hugo. He's like, actually we're, we're snakes on a plane. <laughs> I like that. Marcy, what, what were your thoughts on on Jerry trying to like rally the team with her little like, yeah, they're they're fit and young, but they're they're European and soft. We're American. We're better. I loved her attempt, but also I don't think they knew yeah. the Waystar Royco group. I don't think they knew what they were walking into. I think they really underestimated it. So good attempt on her part to kind of raise their spirits and get them all gung-ho about it. But um, yeah, no, I definitely think that those strong young people like really outstronged and outsmart you. And they're not so soft once you really think about it. Um, So good job, Jerry. No, but I do like how she's trying to play like, oh, they have free health care and they they take all this vacation time because, you know, Americans famously, we don't take off the, the time that we're allotted most people. And obviously we don't have a free health care system. So um, I did like the kind of the politics or the geopolitics that were in play. Um, but here's what they're mentioning. Here's what they're missing. I'm sorry. Yep. All that free health care and, and the, t- you know, paid time off and so on, like, that's what makes them stronger than us. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they're living better lives than yeah. we are. Like, hands down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, I mean, even ahead, just, 
looking at Kendall again, we talked about the symmetry between the first episode, the pilot episode, and this one where he's in the car and it's jamming out to music. Like you can tell how old like Kendall looks, and it's like, damn, it's only been like four years, Ken. You look so old. This is what like chronic stress does to you. So, um, yeah, like the the Swedes, they looked a lot better. They looked more refreshed. They looked younger. Um, so way to go for free healthcare. <laughs> well, and also for Kindle, it probably helps if you don't accidentally kill a waiter at some point in your life and also try to drown yourself. Um, yeah. Rampant drug use. <laughs> that too. That too. Yeah. He, he's, he's done a number on himself, not to mention what his dad did to him before he died. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I thought that was just a great way to kind of show the difference between not only like the companies, but the countries in which they operate. So that was very creative. Uh, Frank, want to get your, your thoughts on, uh, so, you know, on the plane, Kendall and Roman, they're, they're focused on, you know, what's happening and, or what they're about to do. They're focused on this deal and Shiv's trying to like, Hey, like, have y'all noticed that there's, there's negative stuff about dad in the press, which of course, Kendall, put that in motion in the last episode he put hugo to work to you know get that out there and you know shiv is kind of like hey this you know let's talk about this and you know kendall and roman are kind of like oh no we can't focus on this and i love how kendall is like he's like you know we're 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 ogres we're death wrestling ogres or whatever and she's like no you're reading documents you know mm-hmm. but i did like how it seems like their way to kind of pacify her to give her like a carrot was to say hey would you like to fire tom that was like their gift to her. And she, she kind of found a way to not do it, which maybe, you know, leads to her, how she feels down the road. But uh, what'd you think about that, that moment where they're like, Hey, you want to fire your, your husband or your soon to be ex-husband? Um, I thought it was a way for them, for them to distract her, to like emotionally distract her, to keep them out of, out of their business and trying of what they're trying to do with the deal with, with Madison. But it's, the, the timing's incredibly <laughs> crazy because of like she's pregnant with possibly Tom's baby. So um Shiv is cold, but Shiv's not that cold. Like she knows. And like one thing about Shiv, she's trying to avoid this impending conversation she's she's gonna have to have with Tom. Um and like this this like preschool mindset of like being mean to the guy, but you really like want to tell her you would you being mean to the guy, but like you don't want to be vulnerable with the guy because you know that this thing is this thing is just is up in the room and needs to be had. Just to it shows me that she's very and like the other uh, the rest of the wars, they're just very unsure of themselves and they don't know how to deal with conflict or deal with situations. And something as big as having a baby with your husband that could be your ex husband, and and it's weird that she hasn't told him yet. And I mean, we, we've known since last season that she's she had been dealing with the, with the with the bleeding and spotting, and to like avoid it at the at, at for as long as she has just shows a lack of growth and maturity on her part. Um, the Roy's man, the the Roy's are very good at being dismissive and very good at being you know indirect, and uh, the the boys the, their job was to make sure that she doesn't you know sniff what, the, what they got going on but it the story is perfect it's like you're gonna have to come come across and tell tom and i hope that she tells tom this episode because you can't go this long i'm, I'm assuming she's still in her first trimester 
you can't go to your second trimester and not tell and not tell this man that you're possibly the father of his of of of, of the child. So I thought it was weird. I, I, it's it's just very it's just very royal of them to be just so immature about everything when it comes to like things that they need to address. Yeah, you know she's running out of time because we only have five episodes left, and there's I mean, and in in this season that means five more days. So um, <laughs> I mean, there's she's very well. Go ahead. Just she's coming up on halfway through that pregnancy. The doctor yeah. said like twenty weeks in. Like right, that's soon. That's crazy. But I mean, I think there's, you know, she might she might not tell him until the final episode because I mean, like I said, there's only five days left in this in this story. So, Tristan, I mean, what do you think about? Part, go ahead, Frank. I think the part when she's when she holistically saves her job and like, hey, let's have dinner. You know, when we get back, I think that's when she's going to tell him. I hope. That's what it's, it's leading yeah. on to be. But if she don't tell him then, then it's, I don't, she may never tell him. I don't know. She may tell him off, off script, off show. Who knows? Yeah. But even that shit, even like her, like proposing dinner was on some immature, like catty shit. Like, hey, you want to have dinner? And then pulls the phone out, like, and then changes the subject. Like, and then, you know, try to be dismissive, like you said. Um, like, these are children, man. Like, there's a reason why. In the show, when Logan was alive, like he constantly, every time, like they, the siblings themselves are being referenced together, it's always as the kids, the kids. Like the show is like infant, I can't say this word for shit in the world, infantilizes. There you go. Um, Chill, Kendall, and, and, and Roman so much, even Connor. Like these are, Connor's. He's in his 50s. He's got to be in his 50s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Kendall's 40, you know, so that makes Shiv mid-30s, Roman early 30s. Like, these are grown-ass people, but they don't have the persona, um, the consistent persona of adults. And it shows in their interactions with each other. And, like, the, the, re the reason why this particular episode is so excellent is because it takes all of, like, their juvenile quirks and puts it in, like, a negotiation. Now, like, how do all these... The, how do all the, the ways that you demonstrate that you're not really mature enough and not up for these things that we see on in your social interactions, in your emotional uh, maturity, how does that play when we, we throw you into like a, a un, informal business meeting, right? And we see like Kendall's unsure of himself. Roman is more more sure of himself and more sure of what he want he thinks should happen, but he also doesn't have like the full courage to just kind of go for it. And the only way he can really express that is like lashing out. Like what he said to Matson at the end is like, hey, I don't keep you, you know, tell the board, like fuck it. Like that was a tantrum, right? Ultimately it may have gotten them, you know, more money, but like it was a tantrum. And like there's just better ways to do that. So Shiv not being mature enough to tell her still husband that she's pregnant and carrying their child and not being able to do that. Like that is a major life moment. And she kind of treats it as like, a, Hey, I, I bought you a gift, but I'm not going to tell you like, let's have dinner. Like, Hey, I'm gonna make you kind of jump through hoops to, to do that shit. And like, what the fuck? Like, shit, you damn near 40. <laughs> it's like she's trying to keep the upper hand of power, the power. Yeah. Dynamic. Cause she even told Madison in the conversation, she's like, when Madison asked him, like, what happened with you guys? He's like, oh, he he broke my heart. I broke his. It's like, it was kind of like, it wasn't like, it wasn't like a, a typical conversation. I'm like, you know, these are, this is why, what happened. These are the, the emotional stresses that went on. It was kind of like, 
well, I he fucked up my ego and I fucked up his, and like you know now the now the the power dynamic is all thrown off. It's a game for her, and if she's not ruling in some some form of fashion in that relationship. She's failing. It's not it's not a partnership at all. It's a it's a subjugation. She's she's the the dictator, or that's what that's what she wants. So. Yeah, I mean, she has to have the upper hand on Tom. I mean, that's that's pretty clear. And Marcy, I, w- I want to get your thoughts on the the whole Tom and Shiv situation. I want to mention though, l- later on in the episode, uh, Shiv and Tom have a little bit of a chat, and this is after, and we'll we'll get into her talk with uh, with Matson more extensively here in a little bit. But she 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 kind of had this meeting with Matson and kind of got on his good side seemingly, and then she's uh you know talking to Tom. And she starts ripping on his white shoes. <laughs> and then he fires back and says that her earlobes are thick and chewy. And then she starts mentioning, you know, he asks, he's like, Hey, I saw you met with, uh, I saw you met with, uh, Matson. How'd that go? And she's like, Oh yeah, I was meeting was fine. She's like, you know, he's boring, but he's very, he's very conventionally attractive. And she's like, you know, he's, he's broad. She's like, I thought you were broad, but, but compared to him, you're wiry. W- what did you think about how she's using, Matson as like this way to get back at Tom or just the way to, you know, mess with Tom. Um, I thought it was funny again, like Frank said, a very juvenile way to do it. Like yeah. these do not sound like 30 to 40 year olds that are in a relationship. These are like high school kids in a relationship. Um, but I like how like they just kind of dug at each other and I was like, damn, like, do I need to worry about like, if my earlobes are fat now, like what the hell more things for women to be insecure about. Um, but you could definitely tell like it was really getting to them. So it was fun as a viewer to watch it, but definitely would not be fun to be in that type of situation where like, that's the type of dynamic that you're still having at this point in a relationship. And at this point, in your life. Um, but yeah, I thought it was hilarious. Something also that wasn't fun was for Kendall and, and, and uh, Roman, each of their meetings with Matson. there are three meetings in this, in this, in this episode. So the first one, you know, Matson, he, you know, as he, he invited everyone to, to, to come to this, you know, this retreat. And then whenever he greets them, he's by himself. He's he's solo, and they've got five or six people. He's like, "Oh, y'all are rolling deep. Y'all are trying to outman me, outmaneuver me." And they're, you know, you can tell they're thinking like, "Well, you've invited all of us. Like, you know, you're trying to once again, you're playing these like mind games and like these tactics to try to, you know, whatever to make yourself look better, more powerful." And in their first meeting, where it's, it's just Roman and Kendall uh, negotiating with uh, with Matson. You know, Matson is just—he's very like, hey, like I don't know if y'all been a part of these, but like I'll say something, then you say something, otherwise this doesn't work. <laughs> and he's like, I like how he brings up that you know their company, you know, fell twenty percent. They're like, well, you know, actually it went back up ten more percent. He's like, yeah, he's like, but you know, why do I feel like I'm the guy, you know, at the grocery store when there's a sale and I go to the go to the checkout stand and they want me to pay more? You know, like I loved. I loved how he kind of simplified stuff. I love just the back and forth between them. And they're like, you could tell they're kind of nervous because like they're, you know, obviously for different reasons, they, they, they want to get this done in some ways. And then also you have uh Roman who doesn't want to be there because his dad just died. And he's obviously still bothered by that. And, you know, Kendall, it's, I think this is just part of Kendall's, 
you know, he just wants to play the boss and he, he's just this, the boss would go do this stuff. So that's why he's, he's playing the boss, but you know, Matson makes fun of them because they kind of stumble over their words and they talk at the same time. And it's just like, he's very condescending to them. Right. Like Frank, what, what did you think about that first meeting between the, between Matson and the, and the siblings? I equate that first meeting to like drafting a third round quarterback from a small division to school and like the, the, the starting the starting quarterback tears ACL on week one and he's thrust into starting and he's just open that quarterback is overwhelmed games too fast everything is just it's a shit show and that's what it looked like like I don't know how many deals they've been a part of prior to like the show inception season one but they look like they look like a deer in the headlights they know what they wanted to do and I'm, and I get it their dad just died right like they're, they're still dealing with that emotionally but um, they just look very unprepared. And I think I mentioned this last week, um, or it might have been a week before that, when they had the phone call with Madison, the three siblings um, in Madison, and like they called Madison to to pretty much set up this meeting that, that we saw this episode. And like the kids had no idea who was going to lead the, the call. There was no there was no planning. And like you see, you just see more of that in this meeting, just more unpreparedness. And and Madison. Madison, he's he's a young guy, but he's been around the block. He's a billionaire. Like he he's been in, in a lot of negotiating rooms. He knows when there's somebody who's unsure of themselves. He knows when he can take advantage of somebody. He can tell when somebody is like or a faction is just not on the same page. And he and he knew this is this is the strike. This right now is I can strike with the irons hot with a dad, the dad being gone. I can finagle a good deal that that works that works for me as a Madison. Um, it just, it was, it was, it was tough to watch. It was very tough to watch. And like, and for those people who are rooting for Kendall to like, you know, triumph and be this, be this, you know, leading man, it was just more of the same. Um, and, and, it and Roman echoed that with, with his unwillingness and, and like just unpreparedness as well. So, um, at, as each negotiation got better, they got more comfortable, but like, like Tristan said, they, they just need reps. They look, they just very green. They, they don't, they have no real world experience when it comes to like putting together billion dollar deals yeah i mean they're they're prepping on the plane and they're they're going to make their dad's deal and they're they they were completely knocked off their feet by the fact that that matson's like oh no i want atn which i mean i i knew that was coming not not that i could tell from like previews or whatever it's like you knew he was going to try to buy everything like that because that's what he wanted originally with logan and logan wouldn't give up atn so whenever he he's like he's like I'll, here's the number and i want to buy you know I want ATN included. You could tell they weren't prepared. And that's why they're kind of, they're not saying anything after he throws that out there. They're and just not ready. Sorry, foresight. That's just, that's a lack of foresight. And that's, yeah. that's what not having those reps and not having those, that experience comes into play because as much as they were reading and going over, like they were trying to do like the standard negotiation. Like I'm going to read a, hey, market cap and all these numbers and boom, boom, let's rehearse this and so on and so forth. Well, what, what happens when an audible needs to happen? What happens when an adjustment right. needs to happen? What happens when he throws that wrench in the system of saying, hey, I want the whole thing. And like, they just got tongue tied. And Matson, he could, he could smell the blood, you know, especially in that first meeting. Like he's like openly mocking them. <laughs> like, for, you know, he brings up Walter, you know, which is a sore subject for Kendall. You know, he like he's openly mocking that like their lack of experience. Like, hey, I don't, I don't think you guys know, 
you know, what a negotiation looks like, but you have to do this. Like I say this and you say something in return and so on. Like, so he obviously has no respect for them and their experience. And it, it really takes them kind of pulling out of the deal for him to like, you know, give up at least a little bit of leverage or, you know, give up some type of rope. Uh, but he just has no respect for them. And this is going to be a common theme for Kendall and Roy. I mean, Roman is fighting that uphill battle of so much of their credibility came from their father. And honestly, they didn't really have a lot of that while he was alive. And now they have to kind of build up their own credibility at, again, 30-something and 40-something years old. You know what I'm saying? Like, that that's tough when you don't have, like, the foundation for how to be a good CEO, a, a good CEO and, and, and manage a company and manage people, right? Or to negotiate and go through those things. They just, they don't have the experience. And more importantly too, they got to realize as well, your father's dead. Like stop trying to like figure out what he would have done if he was alive or what route he would have took. Like he's gone. Like, you, like, like, like you said to you, like he, they have to create their own identity and, and, and move on forward. Like, trying to live out the past and like trying to like simulate what their dad would have done. You, you're just making more of a joke of yourself because you're never going to be your dad. And that's okay. That's okay. Like, like you said, like, this is the time now. And, and, and just so you know, you, you guys are interim. You guys are still rehearsing for this position. You guys can be voted out of your roles come the next board of uh, the, the next board meeting. So this is the time now to put your foot down and create an identity if you if you get voted out, fuck it. But at least you know, hey, I, I can look myself in the mirror and realize and say to myself, this is what I wanted, not what Logan wanted, and this is why I want the company to go. Speaking of Kendall and and and, uh, and Roman, well, I mean, especially like their dad was so terrible, and they had such terrible relationships with their dad, and now they're like, well, we want to save like ATN because it's what dad like it's his baby and things like that, but. When your dad was alive, you all hated each other. There was like open contempt between him and you guys and you guys and him. So just kind of let go. And I think they just need a lot more growing up and a lot more grieving to do and accepting it because that's why they're trying to hold on to this thing that they wouldn't have given a shit about if Logan was still alive. Yeah, and I, that's the thing is like it's not really about the money to them we've talked about this before they had they've always had money they don't really understand the value of money because they've always had it so for them to get the better deal i mean like roman like he wants to keep atn because i mean he he wants to keep his dad's empire going the like the same way he he wanted to be work with his dad he wanted to kind of you know do like he he wanted to be the heir apparent to his dad just keep doing business the same way whereas I think Shiv maybe would have done something different. Kendall definitely would have done something different. Um, and it's, you know, it's an, it's an emotive play. Like they said, that's why, that's, that's, that's why uh, Matson wanted to buy it. That's why he wanted to include ATN in the deal. He's trying mm-hmm. to push their buttons and get at them. And I, I do like how, uh, you know, Roman said, you know, they asked Roman and Kendall go to Shiv after they talked to Matson about that. And she's like, let's just get rid of it. It's a toxic, it's a toxic asset. And then, Roman's like, yeah, but his dad's pride and joy. And he died, he died trying to keep it. She's like, well, let's just keep one of his old sweaters. It's less racist that way. <laughs> yeah. Like, I thought that was great. Um, I do. I think the second meeting is 
probably my favorite um with Matson. The second meeting with Matson is probably my favorite interaction in the in the whole episode. Well, I don't know. The end of it on top of the mountain is pretty great too. But I do like when the second meeting, you know, they're out there in the open with all the people at the retreat. And it's clear that Matson and his crew are kind of making fun of 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 uh the Roy's and they're speaking you know in Swedish or whatever. And I, I like how Kendall steps up. He's like, he's like, are you all done? He's like, maybe it's funnier with subtitles. I'm not sure. <laughs> Thought that was such a great, like, you know, hey, we we don't speak the language, but we get you're making fun of us. So, you know, shut the fuck up. I did like that. And uh insults are universal. Yeah, exactly. And I, I like how um, you know, after ask, asking for ATN to be included in the deal, Masson's like, you know, I think we see a way to fix ATN. And I love Kendall. He's like, oh, you see a way back for our phenomenally lucrative and influential news organization operation. You're going to save that. Thanks, bro. Like, it's like, yeah, we know, like, it's successful. It doesn't need any saving. Like, you you just want to buy it because you want everything. But, like, it's doing pretty well on its own. And I do like how, you know, Matson, which we've talked about the whole time, he has no respect for him. And the ultimate line he drops on him. He's like, I don't care what you think. You're a tribute band. Like that's such a, like, you're just playing your dad's hits. You're not your dad. Frank, what'd you think about that? That insult, bro. He ethered him dog on that one, bro. <laughs> I, I had to like rewind that shit. I was like, wait, he said what? That was, that was a bar. That was a bar. And guess what? He's not lying. <laughs> it's not, they're not good at their job. <laughs> they're, at this point, at this at this point, they're getting blown the fuck out. And yeah. overwhelmed in his negotiation uh, tactic, and he's he just calling the calling the spade a spade, like bro, like you you're in over your head. Sell now. I can take better. I can take better care of this baby than you can, than all you can. So, yeah, that was a bar, man. That that made that made me like go, oh shit. <laughs> I thought they might fight. That was that's some fighting words, bro. So, but, go ahead. I like I like how that dialogue kind of mirrors what the show is like. I guess like the progression is like at the beginning of this, the kids are fighting their dad. Dad dies. Now they're trying to be their dad. Yeah. Like the thing that the thing that's going to wrap the season up and the thing that's going to set them free in some type of way is um, like Frank mentioned it earlier. At some point, they're going to have to build their own identities and they're going to have to live with that. They can't. Right now, they're just doing cosplay as Logan Roy. None of them are as good at it. They don't have the experience. They don't have the, the ruthlessness. They don't have the connections. They don't have the credibility. So, like, at some point, they're going to have to build their own identity, and, and they're going to have to learn it. They're going to have to do that together. Kendall's still trying to maneuver around his siblings as the, the lead top dog. You know, Shiv is trying to make her way in. She's trying to kind of shift the whole company, you know, to the left, you know, ideology, ideologically. And Roman is still trying to hold on to whatever piece of his daddy can. Like, I know it's been 48 hours since, <laughs> since he died, but they're, they're in the water, right? And, and the, the sharks are circling, and they're going to have to figure out a different way to, like, be effective in this, because this, this isn't working, regardless of how much money Madsen throws at them. Like, this is simply is not working. Yeah. And I, I did like how after the tribute band line happens, Shiv kind of steps in. She's like, "Hey, are we are we okay here?" And Matson's response was, "Yeah." He's like, "I'm a, we're okay. I'm just trying to make you fucking rich." 
and Kendall's response, like dead. I was like already rich. It's, it's true. It's like, we got money, man. Like it's, it's really not about money with us. It's really like, I don't know what it's about totally, but it's not about, <laughs> it's not about the dollars and cents because they got that stuff. Can we talk about, so it was casually mentioned this episode, but like, apparently I guess with Matchison's campaign, there's some bias that's going on with ATN and like, and like, um, is it Matchison? Is that his name? No, no, it's Jared Minkin is Minkin. the, he is the, uh, clearly like a Republican candidate that ATN is, not only backing, but is apparently they're involved in his morning meeting, morning meetings or whatever. They're they have a direct line to the guy to obviously to push his agenda to their viewers. That could play a part, man, in like the deal, like with ATN, like like that's. I mean, it was casually mentioned, but that, that's a big thing. Like if, if if they if they're showing like that much favoritism to where they're like holding meetings for them, that that could like that could be a PR buzzkill. Yeah, I, I think we, I know, I don't know if we talked about this on the show, but uh, Joanna Robinson with The Ringer, she pointed out a few weeks ago that if you base it on the timeline of the days that are left in the season, like election night would be the series finale for the show. So the election is going to be, I, I, I'm thinking like now that they're, they've gone to Norway, I think the next, they have to get to the election. Obviously, they only have five episodes left, but I think the election is going to play a huge role in the final two or three episodes, I would think. Uh, Marcy, I want to get your thoughts on the whole uh, back and forth between Matson and Kendall, and then we'll transition to kind of how Shiv fits into this. What did you think about that whole back and forth? I really liked it because I love Kendall. Um, he's just so messed up and yeah. so lovable at the same time. But, you know, when the Swedes are, you know, going back and forth, making fun of them, uh, Kendall's like, okay, you want to do this now? Like, he takes off his glasses, I guess, to show that he's ready to, like, fight right. or whatever. Um, but, again, I think Matson just shows how much he can dominate them uh, without really even trying to do it. And then Kendall, you know, keeps on trying to maybe like assert himself. And I think maybe sometimes he is able to, but I, I don't think they realize that Matson is more formidable than they are. He's much more knowledgeable and he can really like kind of run around them. Um, and I think what really stung at him and at Roman too, is when he's talking, I don't, I don't remember if it's it outside when they were talking um, after they'd been made fun of, but He's like, this is like a spare parts thing. Like, this is a chop shop. I'm just going to like use this company for parts and kind of like destroy everything that your dad has built. And I think that really stung at them. Um, and I really think it was really smart of Shiv to find her way into Matson um, because I think then she's found a way to circumvent her brothers and, you know, maybe get some more power herself. Yeah, let, let's talk about this Shiv Matson conversation. Obviously, it's very, very entertaining, very interesting. Um, so Shiv sits down privately with Matson, and he confides in her stuff that you know, you're, if you're in the middle of a negotiation with you know her brothers, <laughs> I'm not sure you should be telling her this stuff unless you're trying to manipulate her, which I think he is. But uh, but then again, I'm just like I don't understand that move of giving up this this information, but. So anyway, so he sits down with her and he says, like, he basically is telling her that he's trying to avoid a 
a sexual harassment scandal because he was dating one of his uh, one of one of his workers who we we find out it's Ebba, who is the the comms director for uh, for Team Gojo. And I like how he says that as a friendly joke, he sent her a half liter of his frozen blood. And then he said and I like how Shiv is like, well, first of all, good one about the joke, which obviously she's kidding because I don't get how that'd be a joke. But then he said that, you know, the thing is, is like to kind of keep it going. He kept sending her his blood. And he said, it, you know, it became not a joke. Then it became a joke again. And now apparently it's not a joke. <laughs> so Matt Matson says, well, you know, like, I guess what I'll do is I'll just deny it and I'll lawyer up. And Shiv's like, well, you know, it's going to be tough to deny it because, you know, given you've given her so much of your blood, like <laughs> that's going to be a tough like denial. And then she's like, you know, and if, if this ever comes out, like in this, after you purchase Waystar, like the U S media is going to be all over it. They're going to, they're going to mention this. This is going to hurt your, your company going forward. And I like how she gives the advice of like, you know, she has her, her media plan. She's like, you know, she's like, okay, number one, she's like, this might be hard for you, but stop sending people your blood. <laughs> I, I just love the way she delivers her, her lines. They're so, so great. And then she's like, you know, also like definitely do not fire this person. Don't fire her. Maybe I can get Jerry to help you with this or whatever. But, uh, you know, first off, let's talk about that. How crazy of a situation is this? Is it a strategic play? If so, I don't understand what he's trying to do because he's arming her with the, something that can harm him, not knowing if she's on his side. Frank, what are your thoughts on it? I don't think it's a, I don't think it's, it's a strategic play. I think it's an act of inspiration, actually. I think really? he's so ashamed of, of, of this blood ritual shit. I, I think that he... I don't think anybody on his team knows besides Ebba. I think he's too embarrassed to go to his team to ask for advice. So he's asking, he's asking Shiv because I I guess he finds something in Shiv as far as like quality and like quietness and a secretive nature. But I think he's desperate. And I think that's why he, and, I, and now that has come out, I think that's why he's so eager pushing this deal through because he knows if this comes out prior to him making any more deals, it's going to be tough for him to get deals done because of the PR firestorm. Um, That's a good point. But again, even with the even even like even if this deal goes through, he's going to have to deal with this if this comes out after the fact. Um, I think that, I think that's him doing his research on Shiv and like I know Shiv worked with he he probably knows Shiv worked with, with like uh, presidential presidential candidates in the past and, and politicians in the past. So she's probably dealt with a level of weirdness when it comes to this kind of PR stuff. And this is his way of getting like some unofficial free advice in a way. Yeah. And then he also gives her some compliments. He says like, you know, you're cool and you're not judgy. <laughs> you know, like, it's the blood like thing. The blood thing. Most people would be pretty judgy about that. But yeah, go yeah. ahead. No, it, when, the, when the conversation started in the room, it seemed like he, he was going to make a pass at her. But I think he was kind of like reading her out before for saying yeah. what he was going to say. But no, I think it's an act of inspiration. I think he knows she's about to hit the fan and he needs advice on how to deal with this. And he also compliments her by saying like, you know, you can take a joke. You're like your dad, which I think all of these kids want to be told they're like their dad, even though they didn't necessarily love their dad. <laughs> so the, the dynamics of that is crazy. 
Tristan, what are your thoughts on the whole Shiv uh, Matson conversation? I have no fucking idea. Like, I, <laughs> I, I can kind of take what, uh, what Frank said at face value. Like, you know, it, it, it does in a way kind of seem like he's fishing, kind of seeing where she lies on certain issues, or maybe yeah. he's seeking advice, or maybe he's manipulating, or maybe he's just a fucking child. Like, I yeah. think like, the whole blood thing is he's a child. He's a child with money and power and stuff like that. Um, and that's where like the harassment and, and, and things like he, if we go back to last season, like he says a lot of crude things in regards to women and, and their bodies and, and, and sex and stuff like that. Like, I think the show is also kind of pushing us to see who Matson is like, you know, behind the money and behind like the, the company and stuff. Um, he has issues with women, like we can say that. Is he telling Shiv this because he is seeking help in some type of way? I couldn't tell you. I got. I, I need to know more. I need to see the next episode and see how that plays out because I don't. I honestly, have I don't get the interactions for the most part that he has with Shiv outside of him talking about you know negotiating, but like telling her about the blood and and all that stuff. I I don't see what the end game is like. Uh, maybe he's trying to show her how ruthless he can be. I have no idea. Like, I'm yeah. going to defer to somebody else on that because I got nothing. Yeah, he, he's like, he's confiding in her, but he's also, he's hitting on her kind of like it's, he, he's buttering her up. Maybe he really sees this stuff in her. It's really hard to tell. Marcy, what's your read on the situation? He's coked out, first of all. So that's that true. Play into it. He's been <laughs> drinking all day. Um, but another part is that I think he's he dropped that you know how to take a joke. You're like your dad. But also that's something that men love to tell women that either you can't take a joke. I was that was just like a harmless joke that I sent you my blood like you just can't obviously can't take a joke. But on the flip side, they like to tell other women you're not like other girls. You can tell a joke. So now I'm going to tell you something like super fucked up. Because I think you're not going to judge me because you're not like other girls. But then it ends up being like some weird shit and you're just kind of left speechless. Like, I'm so glad that you trusted me with this because you thought I wouldn't judge you. But this is really weird. I'm now secretly going to judge you. So I, I really, I, I don't know. I think it just kind of illustrates, again, how women can be treated in the workplace right especially when it's somebody that has a lot more power than you do right like that's your boss that's the ceo um so i think that was just a big this is just really bizarre first of all at first i thought he was joking and it was like waiting for the punchline or for him to say like ha like it's a joke but he didn't and then i was like what what is this um also interesting is that she told Shiv told him not to fire Eva, but then at the end, it may seem like Caroline is not going to get fired or not. They're not going to get rid of her. So then right. what me, what does that mean for Eva? That's a good point. That's a good point because as we learn later on in the episode, there are certain people, basically all of the old guard, except for Jerry, they're out. And uh, yeah, Carolina is still very much a part of it. So that's, that's interesting. But yeah, it's, it, to me, it's so hard to tell what Matson is doing. And I, I, you, you brought up a good point. He was, you know, he was, uh, you know, 
using drugs there. I guess, I guess like that he was, you know, he, he offered it to Shiv. Down. Did she, did she take it? I couldn't tell. Okay. It was, yeah. So that, that's, that's definitely something worth noting. The, the, uh, the drug stuff. Um, yeah. I don't know. He's a weird guy. He's a, you know, eccentric billionaire, I guess is that's kind of, uh, the, what they're, they're playing up. And, uh, it seems to be the case. It's mostly erratic. Yeah, there you go. Right, like, he would be cooler if he was eccentric. Like he's just erratic. And well, it's probably the blood loss. Like you've given how many liters of your blood now? That's probably why you're not making very smart decisions. Like you just need some more blood, bro. True blood. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's not the true blood. Here, <laughs> right there. Man. Marcy's <laughs> killing it with the comedy today. <laughs> Dude, it's Marcy every day, bro. <laughs> I just don't know. Ah, okay, so um, let's let's fast forward to the final meeting between Matson and Kendall and Roman. Now, by this point, Kendall and Roman have decided they're going to tank this. They're taking this deal no matter what, and they're going to, you know, they're their way of doing that is basically saying, telling Matson, like they, they basically want to make it where he doesn't want to buy the company. Right. That's, that's now their goal. They're going to tell him all about their, uh, the problems they're having with their studio, which by the way, one of my favorite parts of this episode was they're talking about this movie that they have. That's, that's in production. <laughs> it's called, hold on. Let me get the notes here. It's called. Kalispatron? Kalispatron, yeah. Kalispatron Hibernation, which sounds like a Transformers kind of movie or something. Um, it's in a rough cut situation. It's about, as Kendall says, it's a fucking sleepy robot in a cave. <laughs> That's the synopsis. The movie is over budget. It's at $225 million, and they're going to have to do reshoots that are going to be $25 million more. And they're having a lot of issues with people on the movie are quitting, uh, you know, the showrunner or the movie uh, producers and stuff are backing out. And so it's a, uh, it's a big problem for Waystar studios. So they're, they're pitching mats and that, that, Hey, like, you know, we got a lot of problems under, at, you know, with our, with our Hollywood division, we're having some issues and uh, basically trying to like, you know, trying to get him to, to back off. And, you know, Matson he sees right through them and he's like, you know, he's like, are y'all Scooby doing me? <laughs> He's like, did you go to the Hanna-Barbera business school? <laughs> I I love that. I thought that was great. I liked it. He's, then, then he hits them really hard. And he's like, you know, I prefer doing this with your dad. He was a prick, but he knew what he wanted. I think he'd be embarrassed if he saw you two now. He's like, his two big boys playing Scooby-Doo's. <laughs> and, then, and then Roman just snaps. And Roman, you know. Roman's had enough and he he goes up there and of course like they're on top of this mountain in Norway like about as high up as you could possibly be and of course at that time Matson has to take a piss and so he he's, he's going Roman just marches up to him sits next to him and just is like dude like you know you dragged us out here you know like you know you couldn't have just waited you, you dealt you know like you're the one who fucking killed him you killed our dad like you know you you he dragged out this deal over six months and then like he dies and you couldn't just wait a couple of days. You made us come over here. And then he's like, finally Roman's like, you know, just shut the fuck up. We're not selling to you. We're not doing it. We're going to grind you down. 
we're sanding the gears. Every email is going to take like six months, which I thought, well, that that's kind of like the place where I work, but uh, never mind that. Um, you know, there, there was all kinds of stuff. And then he, he just closed it simply with, I fucking hate you. He's like, we're not selling to you. And if you tell the board any of this, I'll say it's a negotiating tactic. You stupid cunt. <laughs> like he just, he nailed him. Of course, then Matson's like, Hey, like, you know, you just fucked yourself with that by, t- by telling me, you know, I'm going to tell the board all this, like you just fucked up. Frank, what'd you think about Roman going into business for himself and basically just telling, uh, telling Matson everything he wanted to tell him the whole time. You know what? I, I've been saying this for years. Roman's my favorite character. The main reason why I love Roman so much is that he's so sarcastic and nonchalant and dismissive. But I'm starting to love passionate on a tear Roman. Like this, yeah. this, this, this surprised me. And like, and this, there's been a lot of like foreshadowing the last three episodes. Like he just hasn't dealt with, like none of the kids have dealt with the, with the death well. But like this bravado of like I'm fine, I pre-grieved or whatever he said in episode three, I'm good. Like he's not good, and like I think, I think over the last couple of days he's been he's just been internalizing everything and like dealing with the, you know, from the from the standpoint of like sending that text message to his dad and him feeling guilty that he might have killed his dad to like, you know, like now like with, with us, now we're trying to keep the legacy of his dad alive with ATN and like, and then like dealing with Madison and like. And like dealing with the very coldness of like um, him not giving a fuck about his dad's death, I think all of it just came to a head. And like, as any human being, when you internalize so much and hold shit in, you explode. And I think that that's Roman right there, just letting loose, and not giving a fuck. And I, I didn't, I didn't take it as a, as a negotiation tactic. I mean, I know, I know, um, I know um, Ken told him what it, what they wanted to do, but I think Roman just said, "Fuck it, I'm just gonna say how I feel." And and I, I'll live. I'll live with the results. And I love that. I, I love that. I, I wish. I wish more of the Roy's showed that kind of compassion and, and like I don't give a fuck attitude. Um, Ken could definitely take notes on that. Yeah, Tristan, what'd you think about Roman kind of speaking up for the first time and really like, you know, not trying to be the funny guy, but like actually coming after somebody? Yeah, like I said, like Roman is becoming the moral center of the show, and um, he is. I don't know if tragedy made this happen, but we've seen kind of in in small spaces where he is looking out for Shiv and what she needs in the moment, right? Looking out for Kendall, what he needs in the moment. Um, And this is a place that we, if you were taking us back to season one, I would have never thought this could happen because he has famously or infamously been insensitive, overly sarcastic, you know, dismissive, and he has a good read now on the moment. And that was, emotionally, that was the best read on the moment. Like, this guy is is intentionally fucking you guys over. He's, you know, using his leverage of of this deal that he knew that your dad needed, that the company needs, to, like, jerk you guys around insensitively, does not give a damn about, you know, grieving, none of that. It's just pure, one business and on two, like just you know, horseplay with, with you know with, with Kendall and Roman. Um, was that the most effective thing to say? No, right? But it, it did, it was something that needed to be said. Like, clearly, nobody is standing up to Matson and nobody's having the courage to tell him to fuck off, right? Um, and we can talk about whether 
you know, the Roy's actually won in the end, but I, I'm sure it felt really good for, for Roman to, you know, just tell him off, you know, in a way that he deserved it. He absolutely deserved for Roman to say everything that he said to him. Um, you know, it, it gets Matt to at least to take him seriously. I don't know if he still takes Kendall seriously, but he absolutely to a degree takes Roman seriously in that moment that he was, he's willing to not just blow up the whole deal, but like, you know, getting hot water with the board and everybody else, you know, in service of telling this petulant six, eight child, Swedish child, fuck off. You know what I'm saying? Like that needed to be said. So I, I, I applaud Roman at the same time. while also like, this is a flaw of Roman that he has the right instinct, but the wrong execution sometimes. Marcy, what do you think about that? What do you think about Roman's outburst toward uh, Matson? I think we could definitely see it coming. Like we've mentioned, he said he pre-grieved, but we knew that that was going to come out eventually. I definitely think seeing the picture that Connor sent him definitely drove him over the edge. But that's just like classic like grief that had nowhere else to go. So. Yeah, I'm sure he hates Matson, but a lot of that wasn't just about how much he hates hates Matson. It's about how much he maybe saw that his dad's dead, maybe upset of like how their dad treated them their whole lives, what kind of relationship they had with their dad, especially toward the end. So it was a lot of emotions that just had to go somewhere and they just kind of erupted on Matson. Um and like Tristan said, I think maybe he respects Roman a little bit more for being able to do that. Um, and maybe he wasn't sure, like, was this a negotiation tactic? Wasn't it? Um, I think for him, he's just never, maybe never been, like, told off like that because everybody's always respected him or, you know, has been intimidated by him. So right. uh, we don't know maybe, like, what real effect that had on him. Yeah, it's it's really interesting. We've kind of talked about this before, but it's one of those things where Kendall and Roman don't want to sell their company to this guy. They don't trust the guy. They don't like the guy. They don't want to sell it. Now, because of this, because Roman like really took it to Matson, they get on the they get on the flight to go home and they receive a new offer for the company. And Matson is now going to fork over more money. And it's now public you know they, he calls the person for gojo calls frank and frank shares the news and everyone's popping champagne and you know they're you know celebrating that now they're getting even more money than they thought but you know as you can see like roman and kendall are not super psyched like they're you know they're they're part of the celebration but i don't think that's what they want i still think they they don't want to do the deal. They don't want to have anything to do with this guy, no matter what, no matter what the price is. And I know everyone has their price as the million dollar man used to always say, but um, <laughs> I don't think they have a price that anybody, I don't think they have a price. Honestly, I think, I think money doesn't matter to them. And I'm really interested to see what happens going it's forward. The, it's the power they want, right? Yeah. It's, it's, yeah Kendall, it's Kendall easily yeah. is drunk off power, yeah. you know, and, and Roman, is drunk off being taken seriously and without having like those titles once this deal goes through they they effectively cease to be taken seriously in that particular world so that's what they're 
they're not really happy about. They got the hundred, yeah. bro. They got the hundred. They good. <laughs> it's still an idea. I mean, they, they can still go. They go back to that. They they, they could buy PGM or PGN or whatever it is. They could buy Pierce, right? And then they could have their own. And do what with it? They have no fucking experience of running anything. <laughs> They'll be flush with cash, though. They got a lot of money. They could buy. They could buy a sports team. You know, like. Why these people won't buy a big ass house in fucking Malibu and just cool the fuck out and just do nothing is beyond me. But oh my god, yeah, I don't get it. You'll never hear from me again. <laughs> I will. Yeah. I will. I will say this. I, I I thought it was a genius move by Madison because I think Madison knows Roman and, and Kenda don't want to sell, and oh, yeah. the big reason why he's why he asked for that picture from um. From from Shiv of the boys is to solidify what he thought, and he knows like once that's that's why he went public with it because he knows the board themselves are not going to want to turn away that deal, and I want to see playing out like if Ken and Roman don't want to sell, how they're going to convince the board to not sell, especially with them going, especially with Madison going up five dollars a share more, because like it's it's going to come to a vote. You're in room, so it, even even if you try to axe the deal. I would think they're just going to vote you out anyways and, and, and have the deal go through. I mean, everybody's excited about the deal. We saw Carl definitely celebrating. He's like, yes, like this is my golden parachute. I'm out. I really don't care what happens to any of you fuckers. Like, I really don't care. I'm on my way out. So that I thought that was hilarious, too. He was just like, oh, some of you might get fired. Like, that's fine. Like, I'm like, I'm going off into the sunset. So I loved how like heartless he was just kind of like celebrating for himself, not really giving a shit. Like, but it's funny to me, like, like Hugo, Hugo looks like he's like in his late fifties, early sixties. Why do you care about working again? If this dude goes through, bro, go buy your Island dog. Like go buy your Island, lure up, get ready, get ready for this, for this fucking, uh, case. Insider trading. Insider trading. Yeah. Yeah. It gives you and your daughter and like, you have a bunch of money to like, f- to fuck with. You'd be good. Like, I don't know why he's so, so worried about securing a job. They are addicted to being to the power that comes yeah. with it. They're addicted to it. They can't. They don't know what to do without it. They love being in the game. You know, yeah. they they love being a part of these these big companies and these big deals and feeling like a big shot. And everything yeah, my, is, you know, my black ass will move to Puerto Rico or Ecuador, or Cape Town, and y'all never see me again. <laughs> so, as y'all kind of alluded to, so while. Everyone is celebrating, you know, for momentarily, we find out a little bit later that not, I mean, seconds later that the kill, the kill list has been released and basically everyone, but Jerry, Carolina and Tom are going to be fired. What, what is, uh, start with Marcy on this. What is your take on the fact of the three people that we know for sure are going to be sticking around? Is there something, is there a common denominator? Is there something about those three that makes sense going forward with this potential Waystar Gojo or this Gojo acquisition of Waystar? I mean, Tom, I don't know because I don't think Madsen really takes him seriously. I don't think anybody really takes Tom seriously other than, other than maybe Greg. Uh, but Carolina and Jerry, I mean, those are like two pretty strong women that you definitely would want to have on your team. Um, so I definitely wasn't surprised that, that he's not, you know, going to cut them. Um, definitely, you know, kind of felt bad for Hugo because he was like, oh, like, oh, I'm getting cut. Like, what about Carolina? And she's like, okay, bitch, like, why are you trying to come for me? And then, you know, um, 
they're basically like, nope, Carolina's staying. And so is Jerry. So I love that. I was like, yes, like these are two strong women that I would love to see have more power. And uh, Tom, I, I don't really know what to make of that, honestly. Maybe it's a way to like fuck with Tom. That's like, what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. I was going to, Frank, what do you think about the fact that maybe Matson is keeping Tom around because of the situation with Shiv? He obviously knows that they're going through a divorce, will be divorced soon. And like I said, Matson, who's hard to read for me and I think for all of us, maybe he sure. definitely is, you know, interested in Shiv in some way. And he knows a little bit about the marriage or the fact that marriage is falling apart. What do you think about that? I think there was a there was a conversation off camera about him uh, about Madison securing Tom's position. Um, I think, especially with oh, you think Tom, from Shiv, Shiv and Madison? Yeah, I think okay. it was, I think it was offhand offhand conversation off camera about securing Tom's uh, position because there's no reason to keep Tom. Like Tom does nothing. Even the awkward conversation they had, Madison and Tom had pretty much showcased how little Madison thinks of Tom. So the only reason why I think that Tom is being retained is that Shiv told him, you know, in this in favor of this unofficial advice I'm giving you about Ebba, I want you to retain Tom. Fair. Tristan, what do you think about that? Um, I'm I'm a roll with that. I, I'm sure that that's part of whatever negotiations he and Shiv have had. Um and maybe Shiv kind of you know, playing some part in, in, you know, influencing the deal to go through either now or in the future. Like that may be one of the stipulations. It's Tom gets, but uh, Jerry, I wasn't surprised. Um, Carolina, I was a little surprised, but you know, the, the issues that he has with Ebba, <laughs> like, I guess it shouldn't be too surprising. Um, but Jerry, like I, Jerry has survived everything. So it doesn't shock me at all. Can you imagine like sending blood to either Carolina or Jerry? Like they would not stand for that. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Jerry might though. Jerry, Jerry might. might. Yeah. Yeah. True. <laughs> I mean, she wouldn't like it, but I think she would know how to play the game and use it to her advantage. Yeah. She's had experience with unwanted <laughs> solicitations. Very true. Unwanted uh, like bodily fluids for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did think that. You know, Matson calling Shiv at the end and asking her, like, "Hey, are you are you with your brothers? Can you can you can, can you get me a picture of their face? Send me their face." Like, that was definitely her showing, like, "Hey, y'all should not, y'all should have included me. We should have been the the trifecta, the three. It should have been the three CEOs or whatever. Them cutting her out is now coming back to to haunt them. I think. Tristan, you have any thoughts on that one? No, I just I definitely agree with that. Like yeah. the, the the maneuvering, uh, mostly from Kendall, but even with Roman, like this is a kind of condescending, like, hey, like, hey, you want to fire Tom? Like it's kind of these little bones they keep throwing her because they clearly are they they clearly only see a path forward as a duo. Yeah, at least on the face. Kendall, I think, only sees it, you know, as a as a solo. Yeah. But is that it always every time that they don't involve each other and every time that they cut each other out of certain things, it always bites all three of them in the ass at some point. So I don't think this would be anything different. And the yeah. fact that she even like sent the picture, right? Like she could have just said, Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. That was just 
showing like sibling sibling rivalry i loved it because she you know she was just like yeah let me send you a picture of like my two idiot brothers looking all dejected after getting like this huge deal um so that was hilarious yeah i yeah it'll be interesting Let, let's get let's let's get final thoughts as we wrap up here frank what are your what are your final thoughts for this episode or anything that we didn't mention that you want to touch on Nah, I mean, it was it was a good episode. Not much really moved. Um, we won't know the ramifications of their decision until probably episode next next week or the week after. Um, just really more of the of the transition of like what Kendo and Roman are going to do uh, with this company and and the potential division between the the World Boys and and Shiv and how the board's going to play going forward with with this decision with Gojo. I want to see how that plays out because it looks like a size going to be the lines going to be drawn between Shiv and the, and the Roy's and Kendall and, uh, and, and Roman. So I want to see how it play out a little bit. Yeah. They should be called the Roy boys. You know, the Roy boys would be a good one. I mean, the quad squad's breaking up already. I mean, I, I feel bad for Greg. He coined that, that phrase. And then, and now like they're Shiv's already kind of leaving the squad. I'm an unpopular opinion. They should also learn how to use Greg. Yeah. Greg finds a way to get information. He does. Greg's a man of the people. Like he works beneath the scenes, even when, you know, he's not great at it, but like he's so unassuming that I guess people just tell him shit. I would find a way to to include I would actually be the quad squad. Yeah. That was like very insider information too. And I'm wondering like what kind of podcast is he listening to while like having sex? Like this is something that they should have gotten more into. Like, is he maybe listening to the watchers? Like that would be interesting to like listen to maybe when you're getting down or like a crime podcast. Like I'm very intrigued. Yeah. So basically uh, Greg said that, he heard that like uh, when Matson was with Randos, he wore noise canceling headphones, and he was like, "Yeah, he listens to podcasts." <laughs> well, he listens to podcasts while they slide down the beanpole. <laughs> Greg, he does. He didn't get a lot of playing time, but he like he has an impact. You put him in the game, and he makes a play. Like he makes a play, mm-hmm. good or bad. You're like, I remember that guy. Plus minus is always in the, in the positive every single time. Greg just makes plays, man. He does. <laughs> so Tristan, what what are your kind of your final thoughts as we're getting out of here? Um, again, the more we talk about it, the more you realize how how excellent and and well and tight this episode is. Like like you said, anytime like we have like these destination episodes where we get everybody in one spot, it's guaranteed to be good like really good um and i just i love seeing the, the dynamics you know how the dynamics change like logan's death throws everything off obviously but like so many of the same issues that were there you know pre-logan death are still there and they're just kind of thrown into a different avenue so just interested to see like who who latches on to whom Right, because in a sense they're all kind of fighting for survival in some type of way. Like, so who, what alliances are, are going to be drawn? Like, who steps up to like really take control of what's going on? Like, because right now, you know, it's a power vacuum. So that's what that's what I'm really looking for. I'm like, every episode is kind of just playing towards the end. 
Uh, I don't know. I have no idea what the ending of this episode is going to look like. I have zero clue on that. So every episode is like this new piece. It's like, and that's what makes talking about it so fun because we have no fucking clue. Like we we can't even read Matson, right? So like every this is this has been a fun, you know, post Logan death uh, part of the season, and I can't wait to see what's next. Yeah, it's it's like a whole new world we're experiencing with these characters every episode. It's it's awesome, honestly. I love this show. Marcy, what, what are your final thoughts? Um, good episode. I really liked it. Lots of good, subtle humor. I'm looking forward to see more Greg, definitely. I'm looking forward to see Logan in a kilt. I want Marsha to win on that. Like, I think that would be like a great way to end it. Uh, and I really want to see what happens with the election. Like maybe for some like strange reason, like Connor really, you know, pulls out a win. I highly doubt it, you know, having like 1% of the vote, but yeah. you never know. Stranger things have happened. Do you think we'll see Logan in the kilt with his compression socks on or no, no compression. Oh, that socks? would be great. I mean, Carl and Frank already had their compression socks on in the <laughs> airplane. So like, of course, like he's got to be comfy in you know the afterlife down there up there who who knows where he ended up yeah where he goes well he's gonna be like running the news in heaven that's what the guy said in the last episode but uh you know as we get out of here my final thought is you know we, we i'm not sure if she's on the kill list or not but you know the person who has the toughest job on this show is jess kindle's a <laughs> kindle's assistant because he makes all these demands and she has to like do them right away like in this episode she has to set up a, a screening of Calispatron hibernation, which again is their shitty transformers movie. She has to like set this up at the retreat. She has to get it 4k giant screen all three hours. And, you know, and then, you know, of course she's, she's told this like late at night. She's like, Oh, when do you want this done? He's like tomorrow morning. And like, it's, it's, it's always like the next five minutes and the next two minutes tomorrow. Like it's, she never has much time to prepare. And she's always like, he's like, can, can that be done? She's like, yeah, sure. Yeah. Like and you can see her face. She's like, Oh my God, there's no way I can do this, but she always does it. I love the screening of the movie. I like how Ebba walked away and she's like, Oh, I'll be back. Cause like, cause uh, Kendall's like, Oh, where are you going? She's like, no, I'll be back. And she's like, Oh, it's so intriguing. And meanwhile, the Gojo people are just like bored to tears. They're just like, God, this movie's terrible. Uh, I don't know. I love that stuff. I love the uh, mixing like real world stuff into this show, which this show does so well. So anyway, another great episode really enjoyed it and uh you know if you would like to uh so you know now you know what we think about the episode we want to know what you think about the episode there's a couple ways you can do that you can uh if you're watching us now on youtube if you're watching us now or later on youtube it doesn't have to be right now but they leave us a comment we appreciate it also if you're watching hit that like button subscribe to the channel we we appreciate that i think we're up to like almost 260 subscribers so we're adding some like every day we appreciate it keep wa keep watching us we've got a lot of stuff planned we've got five more episodes of session coming your way we've also got we're doing a, a rewatch series in the guardians of the galaxy we've got guardians one coming up this wednesday we've got guardians two next wednesday and in the following week we're covering the garden guardians volume three it'll be in theaters pretty soon so check us out for that uh, also we are, uh, we're on social media. Of course you can uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We're at watchers basement. And if you, you know, if you, if you comment, make sure you use the hashtag hashtag watchers basement. So we know what you're talking about. And you know, if, if, if video is not your thing, we have audio podcasts. So check us out on Spotify, 
on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts. And hey, if you're if you're checking this out on Spotify, you might as well watch the video. It looks even better because it's on your phone. It's a smaller screen. It looks great. So check us out. And if you know if you're following us on any of those platforms, or if you're checking us out on any of those platforms, be sure to give us a follow. We appreciate it. All that stuff matters. It all helps us out. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating. That stuff helps too. So uh, getting out of here. So for Marcy, for Tristan, for Frank, I'm Justin saying thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. Have a good night. Bye-bye.